Looking for the red light. Looking for the red light here. You know, sometimes my guests actually get the your live before I do. So if you already see it's live, <laughs> let me know. <laughs> I see it live on my side, Brent. Hopefully. Okay, well, here it is. It, it must be live. <laughs> it must be live, uh, although I apparently am not, but we are live. And uh, yeah, this is like uh, the, the nightcap, because I did a, a show earlier today with Hayden Stafford of Pega. But this one is also going to be good because I'm going to be speaking to Tyler Lessard, who is the uh, VP of Marketing, and I love this part, the Chief Video Strategist for Vidyard. Tyler, it's great to talk to you again. It's been a while. Thanks so much, Brent. It's great to be here. It has been a little while, but uh, appreciate you following what we're doing here in the world of sales and marketing and video. It's an interesting time. I mean, how could you not follow what's going on with sales and marketing and video? Because like, Everybody is either watching it or streaming it or doing something with it at this point. Well, here we are now. I mean, it's very meta, of course. We're live. We're, uh, you know, going straight to video for our conversation. But you're absolutely right. I mean, it's uh, it's been an interesting number of years where video has kind of crossed that proverbial chasm from advertising and marketing into just how we create content, how we publish content, how even salespeople connect with their customers these days. So it's been a pretty wild expansion in terms of the use cases that we've seen. And, you know, thankfully, a lot of the results have also come along with that as, uh, as businesses have found new ways to adopt it. Yeah. So speaking of results and, and you know, kind of tracking all this video stuff, you guys just uh, so happened to recently release your 2021 video and business benchmark report. And I guess... You know, there's there's so much stuff in here. I'm just going to, you know, pop this up. I'll, I know you also have a nice background to fit the occasion as well. But uh, we want to dug in and I want to like pick and choose because there's no way in the world we could go through all this stuff today. Right. But uh, I want to do a little picking and choosing. But before I do that, why don't you just tell us about the background of the benchmark report? Uh, like how did you, you know, the demographics behind it and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so here at Vidyard, we're, a suite of video technologies for marketing and sales teams. Our, our primary customer base uh, tends to be companies in B2B markets. So it's those who are using video content to support their online marketing programs, their go-to-market programs, their sales efforts. Um, not so much using it for like advertising or paid media, but more so as a, as a content medium to deliver their messages. And a number of years ago, we decided to anonymize the data in our platform. So all of our first party data, looking at, you know, at that time, which was hundreds of customers using Vidyard to host and manage their videos um, and to slice and dice it in different ways to take a look at some of the year over year trends in how that use of video was evolving. So we started off looking at things like um, on average, how many companies within our base of users, uh, how many videos were they publishing on average and looking at year over year trends slicing it by industry, things like that. Um, we looked at the average engagement in videos of different lengths across the platform. So all videos that were less than a minute or two to five minutes or 10 minutes and above, what was the average engagement time in those videos given all the data we have available to us um, and, and, and many other things. So it's something we've been looking at year over year based on our own primary data in our platform. Um, and in the, uh, the last years, we've added in a lot of information about the use of video in sales teams and not only the uploading and sharing of produced videos, but also the use of one-to-one -one recorded videos or user-generated videos, as we might call them. Um, people that are recording using Vidyard's tools and sending those videos out as, uh, as one-offs. So it's been really interesting to see that dynamic as well. And, uh, and here we are with a lot of great year-over-year -year data to see some of the trends from the last two years and, and even beyond that. Well, so before I... I kind of picked a couple of graphics uh, from the report, um, but are there any like overarching key themes that you want to point out at the top of this before I kind of dig into where I want to go? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the the really big thing from 2020, when we look at this sort of year over year on a, on a calendar basis and 2020, of course, we all know as that year when the pandemic happened and many other things that we don't need to talk about here. Um, but it was the year where business went truly virtual, truly digital first, remote and, and whatever way you want to put it. And so it was actually a really interesting time for this you know, shifting use of video. 
And in some cases, we expected that we might see less video creation because all of a sudden teams were distributed. We weren't necessarily in the office where we could shoot in a production studio. Um, even agencies were having trouble you know, producing a lot of content because of restrictions imposed by the pandemic. Um, in fact, we saw quite the opposite. We saw a huge surge in the numbers of videos being created by businesses in 2020. Um, part of that was actually an increase in the number of produced videos. But anecdotally, we saw a lot more uh, authentic shoot and share style content instead of heavily produced. But we also saw this huge surge in the use of video by sales teams um, for one-to-one -one video messaging to their clients. And so that, again, in hindsight, maybe isn't a big surprise because we all adopted Zoom for uh, customer calls and then things like one-to-one -one recorded videos for quick updates, custom demos, and things like that. Um, but it was a huge surge. In 2020, it was more than double the number of videos created on average for companies in our uh, on our platform compared to the year before. So that was the really big thing that we saw in 2020. All right, I'm going to dig into some of these graphics because they're just uh, some really great numbers. So you mentioned you know the yeah, the, the nicely produced versus the user generated, but it looks like across the industry, are these numbers, you said they're pretty significantly up year over year. Are you surprised at any of the numbers, particularly when you look at specific industries? Yeah, what was really interesting in 2020 um, was this rise of industries where sales teams and go-to-market programs were traditionally um, field sales types of activities or more in-person engagement. Um, so high tech, which you can see here on the screen is the leading producer of videos on average within our base, um, high tech companies created and shared 583 videos in the year on average. And that's a combination of produced and user generated. Um, but financial services and education, um, uh, you know, media and entertainment and professional services those all saw a huge spike in 2020, particularly because of a growth in the use of user-generated videos. Um, and we saw that as a reaction to the shift where sales teams in those organizations had to move to an inside sales model. Uh, but traditionally, they were very relationship-based. And so therefore, the need for using video to still clearly communicate ideas, to put themselves in front of their customers, um, you know, was still very, very important. And so many of them shifted to this use of video pretty significantly in 2020. Yeah, you know, financial services, you would think, hmm, interesting that they grew so much because you don't think, you, yeah. you think of like, you know, financial insurances and that kind of stuff, kind of kind of boring. But yep. you think the, the ability to leverage video makes it a little bit more appealing to their target audience to actually listen and, and take in what they're talking about? Well, I think uh, it's a particularly interesting industry when you think about the use of video. And, and it was the one of all of these where we saw the greatest um, shift in 2020 compared to previous years in, in, their, in their use of video. And I think, you know, what makes it interesting for me is when you think about financial services, um, number one, it's a highly competitive market. And some in some subspace value comes to the brand relationship that they have with their clients, um, the personal one-to-one -one relationships that individual advisors or brokers have with their downstream clients. Um, and there's also a lot of topics and ideas that are relatively complex for us humans out there, us lay people, um, you know, who don't necessarily know all the nuances of how different terms affect things or how different interest rates work and so on. And so I think you bring those three things together and you think about the importance of brand, the importance of personal relationships, and then the importance of explaining complex ideas clearly. And that's like a perfect storm for the use of video in today's world, where before they relied much more on in-person engagement for that. You'd walk into the branch, you'd feel the brand, you'd meet your advisor face-to-face, -face, they would explain things to you. Now that that's becoming more and more virtual, right? video now becomes that kind of next best thing to being there in person. And so we had always seen this sort of climbing of the use of video, but 2020 was absolutely a, a huge accelerant um, to start to fill that gap. And more and more of those clients that I speak with are saying, this was in many ways a very positive thing for our business model going forward because it forced us to start to embrace these sort of digital first mentalities. And we're now set up to be able to do this in the future and scale how we engage clients 
whether they prefer to be in person or whether they prefer to be engaged online. And I think that's the really important thing that that foundation is now built. All right. Well, this, this one, this next one is really interesting to me. Let me bring this up. The, the, the total number of videos is really, I mean, really interesting, but the breakdown between user generated and like uh, produced when, right. when you go from small to large is really, uh, really interesting. Yeah, what you what you see here um, to interpret this chart, you see the different sizes of companies along the uh, the x axis, and you go from smaller to larger companies. And then the green part of the the bar chart represents the number of produced videos, and and we define that as any video that's uploaded into the Vidyard platform, and therefore has somehow been recorded and edited, and then uploaded into the system. Traditional videos that you think about online. The blue bars represent the number of user-generated videos um, by, uh, on average by individuals in those companies. And we measure that by those using Vidyard-specific tools to record and send a custom video um, because we have tools to do that. Um, and those tools you can use to record your webcam, record a screen share, and then send or share that video. Um, so those are user-generated, which are largely done by people in sales, some in marketing, um, but they're individual people recording and sending a video without any professional production behind it. And what you see here um, is certainly some interesting trends that, uh, uh, that are starting to emerge. In smaller companies, the majority of the videos they're creating are actually user-generated. They're ones where individual sales reps, sales engineers, marketers, account managers are recording a quick video and sending it off to a client. And that could be a quick demo or a walkthrough, could be an answer to a question, they're largely videos that are meant for more or less one-time use. And as you move up into the larger companies, you see a more even split and them doing more produced video content. And I think there, there's some reasons why we're starting to see this. I think for smaller companies, there's a lot more freedom in terms of individuals being able to create their own content and share it. And we're seeing a lot of those smaller companies actually take advantage of that. It's kind of almost a competitive advantage for a lot of smaller ones where their sales reps can go, yeah, if I wanna record and send somebody a video, I can do that without worrying about the brand police coming after me or having to get legal approval, just like I can type and send an email or make a phone call, right? Whereas in larger companies, there isn't always that same level of enablement or empowerment, um, but it's starting to catch up. We definitely saw throughout the year that larger companies were starting to open these things up. Um, and that's where you saw still almost half of the videos being shared by, um, by those organizations are one being recorded and sent by their individual employees. And I guess there's a, there's a reason that the smaller companies rely more heavily on these user generated, you know, from a, a cost and a production yeah. standpoint as well. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you think about the large companies, 5,000 plus, you know, 738 produced videos in a given year um, for smaller companies, like the one I'm a part of, that would be an, an astronomical budget, be a huge part of my marketing budget if I were to you know, pay for all of those to be produced. Um, so we do see a significant amount of production happening in those larger companies. What you're also finding, um, I think is a related trend in those bigger companies is um, it's actually across the board of more and more in-house video production as well. So it's not only are you paying for outsource, but they also have more resources internally to produce professional grade videos because they have those people on staff as well. Yeah, and it, it just pop this up because it gives you a nice breakdown as to kind of where you, where the the resources are coming from to create these things. And you know, I guess it is nice to have a, a, a you know a little bit more of a budget. It gives you a little bit more opportunity to do some things. But user generated is is, is that a, as effective as if you were doing some high budget kind of production? Well, what it really speaks to is this almost like diversification of the kinds of videos being used now within the marketplace. So would I have somebody just record a video themselves that I'm going to post up on my homepage? Of course not, right? That's not the place for that kind of a video. And so I think what's happened is you've still seen, you know, even the number of produced videos was still up year over year. And so they're still, companies are still producing more and more um, content using professional producers for everything from videos on my website, explainer videos, um, educational videos going out on digital channels, YouTube channels, um, videos for promotional campaigns, things like that, um, right through to demos and customer stories. 
there's an interesting breakdown in the report of the different kinds of videos companies are actually producing with likely some budget behind it. So that's still happening. What's though, what's also going on and, and, and there you see lots of different examples. Yeah. And then what's happening in parallel to that though, is this rise of these user generated videos that are complementary, that have very different use cases. They're not the one-to-many videos that we're publishing on our website. They're largely the one-to-one -one videos where, again, somebody wants to walk somebody through a custom you know, demonstration of something or walk through a few slides or send a quick check-in to see how they're doing. People are starting to record and send short videos as a way of doing that. It's kind of emerging as just a conversational or communication medium in addition to being this more promotional and, and marketing medium. So I think that's what we're seeing out there. Nice. And I, yeah, this slide puts up a number of different video types. Uh, product demos, is that is that pretty much on par for previous years that they're kind of the most uh, produced kind of demo, uh, the kind of videos, I guess, kind of videos. product focused? Yeah, what we've uh, what we've seen, and and what this is what this is showing you here is um, we we've complemented our primary research with survey based data into the audience to understand how they look at the kinds of videos they're they've been producing and so on, and you can see here how to interpret this is um, you know sixty three percent of respondents indicated that they've been producing product demos, fifty one percent that they're producing how tos and so on, and what we have seen absolutely in the last few years has been this the dominant form of video being used in B2B companies, which is what this, this audience largely is, are these educational videos. So it'll be surprising for a lot of people to see this and go, well, I'm surprised like ads aren't number one or YouTube pre-roll or social media videos. Um, because in the world of B2B, video has emerged as this great educational content medium, right? We all have complicated products or services that people need to better understand. So product demos, how-tos, explainers, um, those, have all, those have been for the last few years, some of the top spots for the types of videos. But in 2020, we saw a, the biggest growth came from live streams, which you have highlighted there, one-to-one um, -one video, which is back to those user-generated videos. And we also saw a rise in the use of social video. And again, I think this is because this audience is largely B2B companies who are now starting to get into this trend of saying, yep, you know, what those consumer brands have always known, we've got to get on board with, with using video on social as well. So those are some of the growth areas that we saw in 2020. Uh, so I, I definitely highlighted live streams because, you know, most of, a lot of people are doing them like we're doing this right here. Um, yeah. But, you know, the, the thought leadership one, that kind of was interesting to me. Um, and, and another one that is really interesting that I didn't highlight is culture videos. Could you Explain how that, you know, is, is that on the rise? Maybe not as fast as some of the other ones, but culture videos, particularly from a B2B uh, uh, cust uh, company, that seems like that's something that's, I didn't recall seeing much of that before. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is another interesting one. And, and the way that we typically define culture videos, I can't remember the exact wording in the, in the survey, but um, it relates to videos that are created by an organization um, you know, for the purpose of, you know, connecting with their client base um, through sort of personal moments of, of, you know, culture or sharing and so on. And um, what we have seen here is, I think, particularly over the last couple of years where, you know, more and more we're feeling a little bit distant from our customers, that um, culture videos are things that are just like celebrating milestones in the company. Um, they may be, again, putting out videos to, yeah, you know, share some fun during a holiday moment, right? I think just about every company that I subscribe to sent me a happy holiday video this year, <laughs> it feels like. Um, and those are sort of moments of connection with their audiences now, where I think, again, in the B2B space, a lot of marketers are, are kind of getting over to that side of saying, you know what, we got to have a little bit of personality. We got to have a little bit more humanity with our audience, a little bit more fun and make them smile, you know, take off the tie, you know, undo a button here and, and be just a little bit more human and, and fun with our audience, um, sharing those on social media, sharing them directly through, um, you know, email and other comms. So we are starting to see that um, happen more and more. Um, and it's actually exciting to me because I think it's it's nice to see a lot more companies trying to humanize their brand in today's world and um, and connect with people on a more authentic personal level. I think it's really important right now. Do you think that came about because of the everybody being locked down in the pandemic and you did feel this need to 
to try to connect on a more human uh, level because we aren't able to do that the way we traditionally do it? I think um, like many things, it, it did get accelerated in the, in the last year. Um, you know, we certainly were seeing it happening in, in pockets in previous years. And I think in, in general, in different areas of business to business, we've, we've seen over the last five years, three years, two years, I think every year, we continue to see more and more evidence that there's, you know, this, this, this push towards more authentic, genuine, trustworthy human marketing, um, you know, whether it be video or otherwise. Um, and, you know, most of the marketing conferences you'll attend, you know, a lot of the hot topics really revolve around that about, you know, because independent of the pandemic, business has been going more and more virtual and digital every year, right? And buyers more and more are expecting um, more of the buying journey to happen self-service on demand, right? I think, you know, we, we all know the stats from Forrester and Serious Decisions that over 80% of the buying journey happens self-service online before they ever reach out to a company. In some cases, that might be closer to 95%. Who knows? Uh, but the reality there is we know as businesses that our prospects are spending more time themselves online, learning about our businesses, self-teaching about different topics, talking to peers, looking at review sites, right? All those things are a bigger part of the buying journey now. And so the mind shift that's starting to happen for marketers out there is, oh, wow, we need to replace what used to happen with one-to-one -one conversations in the sales process there, right? Like that used to be, there used to be this part of the buying journey early on where the salesperson got to talk to somebody and they talk about the weather, they talk about the local sports team, they build rapport. And now that's being replaced with, no, nope, I'm not talking to sales until I'm pretty sure you're one of my top three vendors. So now marketers are figuring out, well, we still have to build those relationships. We still have to create a more emotional connection to our brand. We have to be transparent and show them who our people are. And that's where things like culture videos, on-demand thought leadership, live streams, right? All of these become this transparent view into companies that people can view offline self-service. And so I think that's a big part of it is that expectation of today's buyers. And then on top of that, the next slide that caught my attention is, is this distribution of channels where video control sales and customer conversations. So it, it sort of almost sort of segues into what you were just talking about. Yeah, what you uh, what you see here is how companies are are primarily distributing their different types of video, and and this was actually an area the one you have highlighted there was it was again a big gainer in the last year where we've always seen companies pushing out their videos on social media channels, their YouTube channels, publishing on their website, um, but this was uh, you know the last couple of years we've seen this building up where these videos are being used for the sales team for them to leverage. In their customers, in their conversations with customers, and it might be videos that are being produced by marketing, right? Remember, the product demos were actually the most commonly created from across a lot of these companies. Many of those product demos are intended to be used by the sales team, so they can send them offline to their clients and they can watch them on their own time. So a lot of that content is now being created with the express purpose that sales can use it. But there's also, remember, more and more sales teams that are being empowered to create their own content create their own one-to-one -one videos, create their own screen shares that they can send over to clients. So this is an area I expect to continue to grow as we think more and more about how to empower sales teams with great content or even enable them to do it themselves. So how much input when the, when the, when the videos are created, let's say in-house, mm -hmm. pseudo-professionally um, by marketing, because I'm, I'm assuming a lot of marketing has a big role in that. But yeah. how much does the actual salesperson have in these kind of more uh, professionally produced videos that are aimed at, you know, drumming up business? Yeah. Um, so I think what we tend to see is, is they play a very important role as an input into the priorities of what marketing and maybe their sales engineering team is creating. Um, great comment from John on customer story videos, which are also a big part of that of creating those customer videos that are again, intended to be used by the sales team during the sales process. And so I think what we're seeing is a lot of sellers are becoming key input into what do I really need to be successful in, in my role? What kinds of videos could we create as a business that would make me more efficient in my job? That's actually one of the big areas that we see um, an opportunity for video and sales, um, you know, because 
sales reps and sales engineers can often pinpoint the same demo they do over and over again, right? For every customer, yep, we're going to go through the same demo. I've got to get the sales engineer on the call. They've got to spend another 45 minutes of their time that frankly, they could be off doing something better if there was just a pre-produced video that showed exactly what it is we were going to walk through. And so that's starting to happen on mass now where they're saying, hey, let's record these demos, whether they're professionally produced or something the sales engineering team does with a screen share and hits record. Um, let's have a library of these ready to go. So when a customer needs to learn about something, the sales rep can say, yeah, great, here you go. Here's a great video to walk you through that. And I'd pay really particular attention at the seven minute mark where we talk about X, Y, and Z. Instead of, hey, let's book 45 minutes, I'll get three people from my team on the call and you know we end up booking it three weeks out. So I, that's the kind of dynamic we're starting to see more and more. Um, and, and I think businesses need to be mindful of that, of saying, how can content like this help make my team more efficient, uh, make them more productive, but also just give our customers better options for how they engage in this content. The thing that caught my uh, attention on this one is just how prevalent and relevant social media is across the board in all three of the CRM related areas. Yeah. You know, number one on sales and, and customer support, number two on marketing. But the other customer conversations and sales prospecting conversations, uh, are you, do you think that's a trend? Are you seeing because, you know, we're making these videos? and leveraging them to really engage and not just, not just promote, but really try to engage. Do you see these conversational aspects of video uh, moving up and even maybe approaching, uh, you know, I don't even see it in the marketing here, but how could, I don't even know how it would penetrate the marketing uh, or yeah. conversation unless the conversation is transitioned over to sales immediately but it seems like video is is being viewed as a way to interact not just to show and promote yeah yeah well it's moving you know in the world of marketing it's largely a one-to-many sort of scale initiative right it's we're producing certain videos that are meant for a large audience and they're going to go on our website our youtube channel and our broad social media channels but in the worlds of sales and customer service it tends to be much more of a one-to-few or in some cases a one-to-one -one mechanism where again, I need to answer a question a customer has asked. I could either type out an email or I could hit record, look into the camera, share something on my screen, explain it and send that video on over, right? So it just becomes a way to effectively continue the conversation without always relying on having to type something out because often it can actually be easier and also more impactful to record a quick video. And then social media is interesting when you think about the use in sales and, and, um, and customer experience. We're seeing more and more sales teams and sales reps um, building up their personal brands on their social media profiles. Um, they're posting content themselves. They're also posting short videos where they're talking about certain topics, um, where they're, again, maybe having short conversations with somebody in their ecosystem and, and sharing that with their community. Uh, and that's working very, very well. As we all know, the social platforms, you know, just seem to want to gobble up video as a, as a medium. They heavily promote live streams, on-demand content, um, they're, they're, they're really pushing those into the space. So sales teams and even customer experience teams are sharing more and more of that on their channels to, uh, to engage their audiences. So it's a, it's a whole new world. It's really interesting to see these shifting dynamics for, uh, you know, across the board for, for marketing sales and service. So the, this next one is, is really one that I, I focus a lot on and it's all around how long should these videos be? And, uh, and now this this is kind of the first part of this. This is you're, you're just reporting the video length, the percentages, and all that. Uh, talk a little bit about this, and then the back end of this is how impactful is it, does the time element have to be to to help hit the hit the mark with these videos? Yeah, well, it's a question we always get. How long should videos be? Right? We'll be asking it for generations to come, Brent, because <laughs> there is no uh, silver bullet answer to that. The answer is always, well, it depends. It depends on a lot of factors. Um, what is the video intended for? Um, you know, what channel is it going out on? All those kinds of questions. But what you see here is um, of all the videos shared through our platform, which was 750,000 plus videos over the course of the year, um, this gives you a sense for the average lengths of, of all those different videos. And this includes both user-generated videos as well as produced and published content. And so what you see here is um, about 
you know, 37% were um, zero to 60 seconds, so less than a minute. And another 23% were in that one to two minute mark. So roughly 60% of the videos were less than two minutes, um, which is a pretty high number. But last, the previous year, it was well over, it was about almost 75%, I think, were two minutes or under. Wow. Um, so this year, it actually, the percentages shifted a little bit where we're still seeing a lot of short form content. Most videos are less than two minutes. However, there is still absolutely a play where you can see here a, a significant percentage are greater than two minutes. And when you move into the top block, um, which is 20 minutes or more, about 10% of the videos shared were, were more than 20 minutes. Um, but again, this changed year over year, where in the previous year, only 6% of videos were more than 20 minutes and about 75% were less than two minutes. So the net net of that, what we've seen happening is while there's more and more short form videos being used, on the flip side, we've also seen this resurgence of longer form videos, which is largely things like webinars and on-demand recordings of webinars and live streams, right? So as the use of webinars and live streams went way up in the year, so too did the amount of on-demand versions of that content. So all of a sudden we started seeing all these 30, 40 hour long um, videos being shared in different ways, which are coming from those and now being available on demand. So lots of different dynamics at play here for what we're seeing in the types of videos being used. And I know I'll take uh, this 30, 40 minute live stream and I'll find the little snippets and clips and pieces that are usually right in there under two minutes. And so it's a, it's a way to actually extend the, the longer conversation and, and hopefully get people interested enough you know, in that little two minute clip to say, you know, I want to learn more. I want to hear the whole thing, you know, and, and actually feed more people to actually check out the longer form thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, there's, there's points here, of course, the longer the content, well, the, the better, it be, the better it needs to be to keep people's attention, but you're also not expecting, um, you know, to keep everyone's attention for the whole thing, right? Like, let's be honest, we'll put out longer form videos um, for different purposes. And, we're not expecting hundreds of thousands of people to watch that all the way to the end. We're expecting the 50 to 60 people that really care about that topic to dive in and binge on it and, um, and, and look at it in different ways. So there's all those dynamics of some content is really meant to try to get lots of viewership. Other is meant to go deep into a topic and really be relevant to a specific sub audience. And there isn't one answer when, uh, you know, both become a part of your, your marketing and sales place. So I'm guessing this next slide will show us why, such a large percentage of these videos are two minutes or less. <laughs> you want to explain this one? Well, we all know the longer the video is, the less likely people are going to stay tuned all the way to the end. And this shows here for videos of different lengths. Um, so under 60 seconds, one to two minutes, and all the way up to 20 minutes and, and more. Um, uh, the, the average viewership, the number of people who click play, what percentage of them stay tuned throughout the duration to the end of the video? Um, and again, this is on average for all of the videos processed through our platform or uploaded in 2020, um, which was nearly a million different videos. And what you can see here, the not surprisingly, the shorter it is, the more likely people are going to watch to the end. Um, this year, on average, it was of all the videos published that were less than 60 seconds, about 58% of people watched that video all the way to the end, compared to ones that were longer than 20 minutes, only 24% of people stay tuned all the way to the end. Um, now, some of these numbers may even look demoralizing for some of you. Go, wait a minute. I put all that effort into these videos. And even if they're short, only 50% of people are watching all the way to the end. Um, but it's always been these kinds of numbers where we don't expect that, you know, everybody is always going to click play and, and stay tuned. Uh, but these give you some benchmarks for what the averages look like in the market. Of course, you know, best in class is quite a bit higher. Um, best in class videos under two minutes tend to see about 75 to 80% completion rate for people who watch. Um, average again, tends to be more in that like 60% range. I mean, the numbers don't lie. I mean, and you want to keep people's attention for as long as you can. And, and I, I, I can see, you know, I, I mean, I've got a, uh, this show is called a few good minutes with, and it's literally <laughs> because I, I remember, uh, you know, taking these 40 minute conversations and then, you know, just on a whim it's like, I mean, I, I'm going to call out this two minutes because this is a really good two minutes block. And then I would, in certain instances, the total viewing minutes for the two minute clip would far surpass the, the total viewing minutes for the 40 minutes. 
Right. And and that was like an eye opening thing. It was like, wow. But I think it also drew it even drove people to watch the 40 minute long form more than they would have without the two minute clip. Yeah. Well, and you know, the interesting thing here, when you think about the kinds of videos you're, you're creating, where you're sharing them, um, there's a difference between the content that is really expected to be more passive engagement as opposed to really active engagement. And any form of content really follows this, right? Um, if somebody is finding your content on their social media feed, it's generally going to be more passive engagement because they didn't come there looking for you, right? They're not on your social feed searching for something about you, right? It's something that's coming into their feed. It's similar things to your email marketing, right? All of those, you know, cold outreach from a sales rep, those are all areas where you have to expect more passive engagement in your content. You're effectively interrupting their day. They're not blocking off a time to learn about something and shorter content is always going to perform better in that context. But on the flip side, when people really want to learn, right? When you want to do deep learning on something, you know, everybody says, oh, our attention spans are short. No, no, no. Our attention spans are fine. I mean, I can watch eight straight hours of Game of Thrones with no problem because I'm limited in the content, right? What's changed is our, you know, the ways in which we consume content, also our expectations of what we're consuming and, uh, and our tolerance for, for, con for bad content is, is zero. So, uh, but if I'm actively looking for something, right? Like if I really want to dive deep into the state of video, I'll tune into this whole live stream, right? Like I'll spend the time to listen to this because it's a topic I want to go deep on. And so that again is where like, you know, your content destinations are where you can have deeper content because people are coming to learn and that's great. On the flip side, videos and other content you're doing for social, for cold leads, for email promos, keep it short because you're interrupting somebody's day and they're not going to tune in for more than two minutes. I wanted to bring up this. I think this is the last one I had here. <laughs> the effectiveness. How do, how should companies actually look at how successful these videos are for them? Because I, I think you, you kind of touched on it a little earlier. Some people are like, oh my God, only uh, you know, you know, a, a small percentage of people seem to be watching from beginning to end. And Oh my, we were trying to get everybody to watch this thing in the beginning and they freak out because their expectations are way out of whack. Right. So how, how can, how should they be looking at the, the analytics that they get back from, you know, when they put out videos and, and how should they feel about the stats as opposed to, you know, the, the kind of ridiculous freak out people have when they think they're supposed <laughs> to be getting this and they're only getting that. Yeah. Well, there's uh, yeah, there are a lot of myths and mis misnomers about how you think about measuring the performance of your, your video assets. And like anything, it comes back to, you know, what were the goals in creating the content in the first place? And are you set up to be able to measure that to understand how well it's contributing to that desired outcome? And then whether or not it's something you can use further in that realm and, and learn from and, and create more of. Um, and the purposes for creating video have really diversified. Um, so some, you know, for some video content, we're creating it largely intentionally for reach. So there is some content that is meant for awareness building that we want lots of sharing, tends to be things that are shorter, more promotional in nature. And in those cases, yeah, we do want to measure reach and understand how many views is this video getting, right? But that is also largely a factor of how well you promote it. It's not necessarily a factor of how good the video is. It's how well did you promote it? How well did you get it in front of the people that might care about it to get those clicks in the first place? So reach and number of views is certainly a metric, but not the only one because it doesn't tell the whole story and it doesn't necessarily sort of live unto itself. The second thing is that I have to think about is resonance. So I've got the three R's here, you'll hear Brent. Reach, the second is resonance, which is the engagement time in that, the, that content. So for those who did click play, how long did they stay tuned? And how does that compare to other content you're creating? If it has high resonance, i.e. people are staying tuned all the way to the end at a high rate, then you know the content itself is really good, right? It really hit the mark. People who are clicking play are staying tuned. Whereas on the other end of the spectrum, you get videos where, you know, 10 seconds in, 80% of people drop off. Not resonating, folks, right? Something's off with that content. You could have gotten 100,000 views on it because you spent a ton of money to promote it. But if people aren't staying tuned, it didn't resonate. So that's the second thing I look for is there's reach, there's resonance. And then the last one, which is the hardest one, is actual ROI or return on that investment. Um, usually as marketers and sellers, we're using videos to try to generate more leads. 
or to convert more opportunities and close more deals. And so the ability to track that and know, hey, of people who watched this video, did they actually convert into a lead in our system? Did they actually become a sales opportunity? Did they actually end up getting closed and, and generate revenue for the business? And that's a much harder one to understand because most people aren't equipped to know who's actually watching which videos, right? They just know number of views and average duration, but they can't say that, yep, we closed GE on this big sale because they watched these five videos. They just don't know. Um, but more advanced ones are doing that, right? And that's where selfishly platforms like Vidyard really come into play where we've always focused on that and helping businesses track and know who's watching which videos, get that data back into their CRM so that they can then report afterwards and say, yep, we know that this video influenced $10 million in pipeline and a million dollars in closed business. We know that these three videos contributed to that big deal that we closed with GE. Now you can start to learn the actual ROI on whether or not those videos were closing deals. So those are the three ways we look at it. Those who are using all those kinds of metrics, reach, resonance, and ROI, consistently report higher satisfaction and better performance of their video content. In a lot of cases, it's because they simply know the actual results as a, <laughs> compared to others who don't. Um, but what it also means is they know where to focus their time and energy. They know to say, great, these kinds of videos are actually having the biggest impact on sales. Let's do more of those. These ones over here, though they felt good, they were getting lots of views, we don't think they're actually contributing to pipeline. So let's shift our investment over here and focus on the content that matters. I know from my you know, personal you know, view or use of analytics for, from a like a, you know, industry analyst, industry observer, you know, that kind of person who's really trying to, you know, get people to you know, kind of listen to my take on what's going on in the industry or, or these conversations. Yeah. I look at total viewing minutes and for example, like I, I, I just mentioned, like I, I could have like a 40 minute long conversation and it could do, let's say like a, a thousand minutes or something like that. That's not bad. Uh, but then I could find a, like a minute clip piece. And this just happened. I literally just put one up four days ago. Um, a minute and eight seconds, like 68 seconds of a content that had this, I thought was a really good piece of content and I put it up on LinkedIn and just that 68 seconds generated 600 minutes of viewing. And right. now I, and I think 1500 views or something like that. So I know it's not just, Oh, it's not uh, people viewed it for five seconds and that was it. Now I can tell that for a 68 second clip, there's a lot of people that viewed a lot of a, a good portion of that full clip because it generated 600 total viewing minutes versus the 68 seconds of the clip itself. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And that sort of total viewing time is a proxy for that combination of reach and resonance, because now it's, it's okay, it's getting in front of people and they're watching it. And so, you know, you can start to learn those sorts of things. But as the marketer in me says, okay, so that's good because that's gonna help you expand your audience. More and more people are gonna see it they're probably liking it or sharing it. So that's a great reach and awareness mechanism, those one minute videos to help build your audience and create micro moments of engagement. Um, however, I'd yearn to understand, okay, but people watching the one minute version versus those watching the full 40 minutes, which ones of those are, are actually likely to convert through my buying cycle? And you know, sometimes you'll find that again, all those people watching the one minute video, that's still great, but they're not the people that are actually ending up subscribing or, or, you know, leaning in further, but the three people who watch the 40 minute version all the way to the end are the ones who go and subscribe afterwards, buy your next yeah. report and dive in further because their ends are actually leaning in. So that's the interesting dynamic of content right now, because both are important. You want to build your audience and engage them in micro moments, but you also want to give that longer form content to let those people who want to self-select to lean in, to learn, um, and then ultimately, hopefully, you'll see that those ones convert as well. So, yeah, that's the fun of it. <laughs> you know, I got a lot of comments from my buddy John Reed over at Diginomica. Uh, let me see if the, uh, he, these guys write paragraphs. They don't write like little one sentences. <laughs> one thing that is interesting is that shorter videos can be more expensive to produce, sometimes yep. a lot more expensive, but it can work well for like a condensed customer interview with highlights. 
that's a valuable sales tool and worth the production cost. That, do you, I mean, does do as you do more videos and you 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 pay attention to the analytics, you you do begin to see the patterns that are important for you to make, you know, more connecting kind of uh, uh, videos going forward because you're able to analyze what's going on here. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, you know, John's absolutely right. And, you know, again, Brent, you've sort of seen from your own looking at the data saying, huh, these one minute clips are actually super valuable in terms of overall engagement time, you know, versus these other things. And you learn that over time. Um, but what's interesting, again, is you think about this production of short form videos. Um, you're absolutely right. It can be take more time and be more expensive to produce a really well thought out short video that is the goal there is to respect your audience's time, but that often, right? It's, it's the same old adage as if, you know, if I had more time, I would have written a shorter letter because it does take more time and effort to, to, to plan that story out and to think about, you know, how to get just those tight points that you want in there, right? Doing a really amazing one to two minute explainer is actually very hard, right? To actually condense down your story and think through What's the problem statement that I want to peel back? How can I create a storytelling narrative to stitch it together? What kinds of visuals can support this? But when you nail it, then you spend that $10,000 to get somebody to script it right, nail it. Then that, that two-minute explainer is so much more impactful than the 10-minute long demo because so many people are going to see it and they're going to go, ah, I get it, right? But there was a lot of pre-production and planning that went into that as well as post-production to make it happen. Same thing with customer stories. It is way harder to make an amazing three minute customer story than it is to make a 10 minute long customer story, right? Cause you've, it's harder to cut it down, but your audience will prefer that in many cases. And you'll know, yep, the 10 minute version, they're tuning out after three and a half minutes. The three minute version, people are watching and then converting cause we're getting to the point sooner that they wanna hear about. Right, and you always feel like, yeah, what am I, oh my God, how do I cut this out? I mean, how do I, how do I not include this? And you know, in that inclusion, and after inclusion, after inclusion, you're you're back up to ten minutes. So you have to really know your know what your message is, and know how to get to it quick, and know how to tell it in a way that's compelling. Because you're right, I think that's the reason why these little two minute clips work from a forty minute conversation. Because you there's the there there's the nugget. It's like you're mining for nuggets, yeah. and you're able to find a nice minute nugget out of a fifty minute conversation that will drive as much viewing as the 50 minute conversation. Yeah, and, it, and it's interesting. A lot of this longer form comment, content, you're right. You can do things that you know become these evergreen um, sort of resources of fresh new content. Even those customer stories, um, you can do a lot more filming of a longer story with a customer digging into different areas and you can start repurposing those for lots of different things, right? You can create your three minute produced customer story you can take clips that you don't really do much polish on and you intentionally leave as feeling very authentic as like a genuine testimonial that your sales team can use. Um, those can end up going into clips. Even some of our, um, our video ads that we, that we do on LinkedIn are actual clips from um, actual customer stories that we've done, right? And they're those like micro, you know, sort of highlights where that person's saying, da-da-da-da-da, this, this, this. And it's like, boom, that like 15 seconds there, that's our ad. Like it feels authentic, it feels natural. So you can start to repurpose a lot of these things as well. And it's actually one of the neat things when you take that mentality with video to capture more than you need, but then be mindful of how you can repurpose. And this has been a really great conversation uh, with Tyler Lassard from Vidyard. And Tyler, um, I know this is this report, I, I was able to get it for free. This, this report is free, right? People can download this from your site, right? It sure is, Brent. We're givers. We're Canadian here at Midyard, <laughs> so we're, we're givers. Um, uh, but yes, it, it, uh, in, in, uh, in all seriousness, uh, we produce this on an annual basis to share with our community uh, these benchmarks that we're seeing out there in the market. Um, so you can go to vidyard.com slash benchmarks, I believe. Search Google Vidyard Benchmark Report. You'll find it. Um, it's also featured on our blog. So uh, no excuse not to be able to find it and it is free to download and you can find lots of great data in there um, and resources and it links out to lots of other helpful tools as well. So yeah, go check it out and uh, check out, see how you stack up to the benchmarks and see if there's any insights that you can pull out from it. And this one last question, uh, you know, when you do this in 2022, uh, just ask you to kind of peer into your crystal ball. 
Uh-oh. Do you do you foresee any significant changes or different kinds of trends coming out of the pandemic from a video perspective? Yeah, my um, my gut says we are going to largely see um, a continuation, in some cases, acceleration of some of those things that really shifted in 2020, because um, I think things like user-generated videos by sales reps and, and other people um, is now just, just starting to, I mean, it's not even mainstream yet, right? Like it's just starting to get over the threshold of, of broader adoption. Um, one of the big things we actually saw in 2020 was for the first time, sales teams were rolling out tools for sales reps to record and send their own videos from the top down. Previously, it was individual reps who felt comfortable with it and like, yeah, I'm a savvy salesperson. I'm going to go make my own videos. They'd use the tools and they'd do this. But in the latter half of 2020, financial services, education, other markets, we saw them now rolling it down top down and saying, hey, all of our sales teams get these tools and we're going to train them on how to use it effectively um, and coach them and, uh, and learn going together. So I think we're very much at the early stages of that. And I think we're going to see that really even accelerate further in 2022 is the use of those short form, largely custom created videos, um, while the produced content continues to move along at the uh, the clip that it has. Uh, once again, lots of great stuff to dig. I mean, we did, we touched on, uh, you know, some pretty good portion, but not nearly all this. There's a lot of more slides. There's a lot more analysis. And I suggest you check it out. It's, it's free. I mean, <laughs> You know, the old motto, if it's free, it's for me. That's kind of the way I look at it. <laughs> Lots of great. No, seriously, though, I, I really got a lot of this uh, this report. Um, and I think the more that everybody does video, the more you're really going to have to figure out. It's not just about doing it. It's about doing it in a, an effective way that works for your customer base and the audience you're looking for. So, Tyler, thanks again. And let's make sure uh, we do this. Well, I'd rather, you know, I, I don't have to wait till next year, but, you know, I definitely, <laughs> definitely look forward to speaking with you in the future and definitely look forward to more insights around this because more and more video is where it's at. And I mean, all you have to do is look at uh, how much you, you, you talked about Game of Thrones. I mean, we're all look we're we're being entertained, but we're also learning more and more through video uh, than ever before. So I think it's time to get going with it if you haven't already done so. In the meantime, thanks again for uh, hanging out. And uh, man, there it is. Uh, you know, John is commenting until the end, folks. And that, <laughs> that's a good, good thing. Now, thanks again for your time. And I will see you later this week with uh, CRM players or watching Amazon or something else. By the way, check out John. John, you're you guys Thursday. Uh, excuse me, Fridays at four for John's show. And you know, this is a lively discussion. I'll just put it at that. Very lively, very fun. And he hasn't invited me on there yet, <laughs> but uh, uh, you got to check it out as well. But thanks again. And we'll see you next time. Awesome. Thanks, Brad.